Welcome to the Advisor Talk podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart, CEO and authorized financial advisor at Stewart Group. If you're new to the show, Stewart Group is a CFEX certified financial planning and advisory firm serving clients throughout New Zealand with offices in Hawke's Bay and Wellington. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 961. See you as always, <laughs> and what are uh, many and varied topics we have. To, before we get there, though, just one of our listeners, we want some sound financial advice. Where do we get that? You can come see us at 204 Kadamu Road in Hastings or on the terrace in Wellington. Always like having a chat with people about their financial house, so to speak. Now, there's a new regulatory regime for financial advice coming into play. Tell us about it. So this is a bit of a mouthful, the Financial Services Legislative Amendment Act. FSLA, as it's commonly known, um, and uh, acronyms are very common in the financial yes. services industry. <laughs> but yes, that that monster's come in, um, five years in the making, and it arrived last Monday, so the 15th of March it arrived. What does it mean in real terms, though, for the average punter? So say I come to you for some financial advice, and uh, the advice that you gave me uh, at the time was sound, but uh, a week later, or because we all know what markets are like, goes belly up. Well, what does it mean to me in real terms? Well, it means that the accountability of that advisor's advice sits with a financial advice provider licensee. So that is, um, for example, you know, for me, um, I'm a financial advisor, and under the old world, I was regulated as Nick Stewart, mm-hmm. whereas going forward, my my employer is regulated, that being Stuart Financial Group, is regulated, and it in turn has to police its advisors, of which I am one of. Yeah. So what that means is that, in simple terms, and look, I you know, appreciate I need to tell a little bit of story about how this develops, and I appreciate the, uh, all of the listeners' time to do so, and, and that is that the regulator has to go out and regulate advice in the community. And if you're regulating every single advisor individually, that's a huge amount mm. of work. Whereas if you regulate the firms that they are all employed by or work for, you've got a smaller amount of fish you need to police. So, you know, effectively, rather than having to go out and enforce um, regulations onto 23 or 26,000 advisors across the community, you're talking about going and talking to about 2,000 entities. And, and the penalties on the directors and um, those in a position of governance in those financial advice provider license holders are huge. Yep. And therefore, they're making the business owners accountable for the advice that is provided by their employee advisors. How are they going to be held accountable? In, in what respect would they be held accountable? Well, this legislation, um, this legislation is a principle-based piece of legislation. So it's actually really hard to define 
um, what is the right or the wrong approach. Yes. It is principles-based and, uh, you know, a little bit like case law, um, the what is deemed to be kind of best practice and, and what is effectively codified will be known over time as prosecutions and case law take shape mm. and, you know, you know, see their way through the system. So, so a lot of, effectively, it, it's quite dangerous if you're a financial advice provider license holder yeah. because it's, you know, effectively for someone like myself, it means we're going to, um, we're going to be paddling well ahead of the wave because you don't want to be anywhere near what is deemed to be average. You need to be, um, you know, absolutely beyond reproach. I think I may have used it, uh, an analogy with you in the past, Ken, where I used to fly radio-controlled aircraft as a kid. If you fly four mistakes high, yeah, it's a bit harder to see the plane, mm. but at least when you make a mistake, the plane isn't a write-off. Mm. Whereas as I got more adventurous, I used to like to fly at one or two mistakes high, and as a result, I wrote a lot of aircraft off. And it's a little bit like with at the advice regime. You want to be flying at you know kind of 400 feet in the air, not at 100 because of the, the onus of responsibility on the financial advice provider sure. license holders is so vast um, that, you know, you really, really want to make sure that you have very, very – that your employees are incredibly accountable, yep. that you have systems and processes so you absolutely understand what they are doing because what they say and do is done in your name yeah give us an example of where it might go wrong for instance if i buy uh, a toaster from the warehouse i'm covered <laughs> by the consumer guarantees act and i can go back in three years time and say hey look i'm covered by the consumer's guarantee act this toaster ain't working and they're probably going to say well we're going to sort that out for yeah you. so give us an example of okay what would happen in your business now i'm going to use some foreign analogies here yeah where uh where this has happened offshore so imagine that um uh, you know, imagine if I had uh, an employee advisor who, unbeknown to me, placed investments into an unapproved investment that we hadn't completed our thorough and extensive due diligence on, and that product or investment was to fail. Now that's happened offshore, and what happens is the um, you know the financial advisor um, is uh, prosecuted, but. The so is so is their um, their license holder. Um, now that means that so, so so what happened is that the firm was unaware of what the advisor was doing, and as a result, um, both both fell fell foul of the law, and um, you know, the advisor the advisor is a small cog mm. in the engine because ultimately you know, the regulator will always chase um, you know those at the top of the tree and those at the top mm. of the tree on this particular analogy happen to be the financial advice provider license holder mm. and that's where the accountability sits so why would they be prosecuted they'd be prosecuted because they didn't have adequate systems and procedures and governance oversight in place to police what their advisors were doing so they would be prosecuted if they were found guilty of let's call it misconduct who would benefit from the fine if there was one would that uh would they need to then reimburse the client? Yeah, well, in some cases that we've seen um, historically in New Zealand, there has been a recompense um, um, paid to the um, aggrieved party where something's gone wrong and that, that's occurred. And you you don't get so many of these cases in the no. investment side, but you see a lot on that kind of um, insurance sector. Yeah. In fact, there was a case last week where 
a in fact last week when was it? I think it was it was either Monday or Friday, and um, it was in the um, financial media, and that's where a um, what was it? It was a fire and general insurance broker had been charging a service fee um, to um, to these clients, and over a period of time, it added up to a lot of money, and mm. they were ha- having to pay. Um, and I recall the number was something like thirty-four thousand mm. dollars in undisclosed um, effective wow. commissions. So, lot. so that went directly from the broker to the client. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Is this new um, new act or law? Is is this a two-way street? Is it good for both parties? Is it good for you and it's good for the customers, or is it better for the customer? Um, <laughs> I think it's good for the industry. I think it's good for both, but. It will be better for the consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the reason why do I say that is that there's no there's no cost to the consumer of this new regulation. Um, yes, some businesses will put up their uh, remuneration structure to meet the new obli- uh, the new obligations and compliance costs. But for the most part, we know from offshore that typically doesn't happen. Most financial advice provider license holders and businesses and advisors will pretty much just wear the cost. Yeah. They will try to. Um, so, so therefore, I say, well, you know, it's um, it's probably better for the consumer than for the advisor industry because the advisor industry just has a lot more. Um, there's a much larger compliance and governance burden mm-hmm. than there was on the 14th of March than there was yes. on Monday the 15th. <laughs> okay. um, but hey, look, look, you know, bring it on, you know, yeah, um, you know, regulations just par for the course and when you're entrusted to look after people's hard-earned capital in terms of their pennies and dollars that they've saved um it's pretty serious that's a phenomenal um amount of trust is placed in your hands as an advisor and as a financial advice um um, provider so i think you know the bar does need to be set high and it has been indeed it's now been done tell us about gdp GDP, yes. Well, that is gross domestic product. So effectively, to the, I'll just explain to, to me, to those who, who may not know. <laughs> so gross domestic product or GDP, it is the total market value of all the finished goods and services produced within a country's borders over a specific time. Now we report GDP. It's commonly reported as like, you know, yearly. Or quarterly, and we would and the the quarterly numbers were produced for the period um, up to December, and they typically take about two to two and a half months until they're produced. So it's a little bit like finding that uh, it'd be like reading reading a map uh, that's two and a half corners in the past. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's almost meaningless in the sense that. It actually happened almost three months ago. So during this particular period, our country, Aotearoa, God's own, we actually, the total value of all the goods and services actually shrank in the three months up to Christmas. If we're always looking back, what's the point of it? Well, it's the ultimate measure of benchmark performance of our country versus another. So... Our gross domestic product over the year to December 2020 dropped by almost 3%, 2.9, and it dropped by 1% in that Christmas quarter. Mm. But other countries over that same Christmas-December quarter actually jumped. Mm. 
So Australia went up by 3.1%. Mm. We went down one. Canada, up 2.3. We went down one. Japan, I mean, they have like anemic growth historically. <laughs> they went up 2.8%. We were down one. The UK, up one. We're down one. And the US, up one. We're down one. So why do we go down and everyone else went up? Other people are just rebounding stronger than us coming out of COVID and into this new you know, kind of COVID vaccine yeah. world. Others are just doing better than us. And, and probably, look, the fact that we protected our population from the ills on a health basis of COVID and we, you know, we're Fortress New Zealand. I mean, mm. Piggy Muldoon would be loving us. <laughs> Fortress New Zealand. But the fact that we did that, we also meant that we've also meant that what was our first or second largest export earner in the form of tourism is gone, yeah, and uh, certainly it, it is gone in the sense, in the extent to the extent that when the numbers will be shown at a later date of the tax take from that particular sector, it's just collapsed. Yeah, when you talk numbers like you are right now, two point nine percent down, or um, yeah. Japan's two point eight percent up, UK's up one percent. Doesn't sound much, but if you translate late that into dollars, it's a different story, then, isn't it? Yes, it's huge. Yeah, it is. And look, you know, if you think about, and I'll use the term like, you know, to move the needle. If you're able to move a country from 1% GDP growth to 2% or from 2 to 3, that is, it's it's an absolute step change. It, it would be ill-advised for people to think about it like saying, oh, well, Nick, isn't it the same as moving my car from travelling at 100 kilometres now to 101 kilometres now? I mean, it, it means nothing in a car. Mm. You don't even feel it. This this would be like going from 50 kilometres an hour to 80 kilometres an hour. To move it up on that sense is just, it takes a huge amount of effort and it can be easily stymied. And when you think that countries that, you know, and I'll use the word like they're like on steroids, like what, say, China was 10 years ago when it was cranking along at like 8 to 9% mm. GDP growth a year. I mean, people that traveled there just were like blown away by yeah. what was going on. It was just, there was so much, you know, um, high-speed rail, you know, massive building projects, just cranes everywhere. So if you think about that at 8%, and then you think about us, um, at say one or two, it kind of gives you an idea yeah. of that step change. I mean, like, yes, we've got some cranes on the horizon, but we're not China. No, exactly. Yeah. You are in the financial market, and uh, you talk to all sorts of people all the time. Is the light at the end of the tunnel? I mean, if we were talking, having this chat again in three months' time, when the next lot of figures come out, are we going to be? I'm thinking, oh, geez, we haven't hardly moved. Or is it going to well, be better for us? Well, what? Did, yeah. The problem with that, well, the, the, um, certainly the problem for a government with that GDP number coming out negative is that actually people thought the, uh, that many economists thought the number for December was actually going to be positive, mm. just. But they were feeling that the March quarter was going to be negative. So now that the December quarter was negative, and most people are saying, oh, we're definitely negative mm. in March, that would mean that we're actually in a technical recession. Mm. Now, and you know, doesn't matter how you frame it. Nope. A recession is two quarters of negative GDP growth. So that would mean that um, you know, you know, here we are now, twenty second of March at the date of this recording. You know, we're only we're only nine days away from it. You know, from from yeah. what 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 could be a um, recession, and um, 
you know, it's been a little little while since we've had that. But what it means, it's just, it's a little bit like, kind of like the slowing down of a boat. Because there's a there's this awesome amount of inertia that's built up, and it carries you for a period of time. Mm. But when you want to hit the gas again, it takes a lot of effort to get the boat back up to speed. And that's a little bit like an economy. So so it's disappointing where we are. It's going to take some, some work. And look, hopefully we get some form of kind of trans-Tasman bubble so we can get what was, as I said before, you know, it was right up there with our um, dairy sector. Tourism was massive. Mm. It employs a lot of people. And, you know, the other cool thing is the people come here to consume our goods yeah. or enjoy our goods and services. Whereas on those others, we have to send it, we have to freight it, and it's expensive and it creates quite a large climate footprint in the form of carbon. Whereas when people come here, that's their responsibility, but we don't have to ship the goods. They can come here sure. and it employs people here in New Zealand, and that's fabulous. At the moment, we don't have that. So, look, hopefully we see a really large resurgence back and we can snap out of what feels like a bit of a we've got a little bit of a tail uh, uh, no, not a tailwind we've got a bit of a headwind at the moment and that's really frustrating as a team of five million are we a bit cavalier and we've got a bit of a she'll be right attitude because we've said you know we've been um, told it's covid 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 and uh, once we get on top of say the vaccine we're going to be right have we become a bit oh yeah she'll be right the team of five million. I'll be really looking forward to when I don't ever hear that statement again. It's like the one like Be Kind. Yes. Oh, I'm a little bit over it. Um, now, and I don't mean to be unkind. No, of course but, not. But I think it's just been overplayed and people have kind of lost the meaning of what a lot of that actually was <laughs> the intent. Um, I think the whole kind of thing about Fortress New Zealand or kind of like, you know, Little New Zealand or Little Britain, mm. you know, the whole thing, you know, we can do it on our own. We are an export-led economy. We always have been. Um, we're at the other end of the world. We need where our economy is incredibly integrated with all of our trading partners, and we just can't survive on our own. No, that is just—it's just incredibly naive to think we can do so. So for us, we need to get back on the saddle, and you know, we just need to get back into it. Yeah. And the quicker we can do that, and if we can do that safely, that would be, you know, absolutely ideal. But we need to—we need to move that needle up because when GDP growth starts to fall, you know, we have an aging population. We have. Um, Put it this way, you could not put a cap on government expenditure and just say, she will be right, mate. Yeah. And on that basis, that's why we can't be Fortress New Zealand, because we actually have to be growing what we do as a nation so that the tax receipts, which fund a lot of the core services that our egalitarian society craves and desires, the needle needs to be moved. It can't stay static. Okay, at minus 2.8, and bearing in mind the state of the tourism industry right now and maybe looking forward, how long do you think before we might be touching into the black? Um, Is that crystal ball gazing? Yeah, no, no, uh, very much so. And just let me get it out and I'll shine it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but look, we, I mean, we, we could be heading into a period of, you know, a little bit of anemic growth for a period of, um, could be out till about September. Yeah. Because if you think, you know, like here I am saying that, you know, 
many economists are saying we are in technical recession or we are in recession now, you and I are not going to know about that until the first or second week of June. Mm. So you can kind of see there's that kind of lag effect, yeah. and it has and it, it does have an effect on the psyche of Kiwis. Now the other it, it, there's another thing, and and I'm sure you know. Because in every radio show I have with you, Ken, you always ask me about bricks and mortar. I was going to ask So I thought, I'm going to drop it in this time. (laughs) And that is that, you know, like I was looking at um, a notable economist publication last week, and it was indicating that interest rates, we will start to see mortgage rates rising in that kind of June quarter. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, why is that? And that is because globally, due to the uh, expected emergence of inflation, uh, global bonds or global interest rates have been going up, not at the short end, so not at the kind of, you know, one through six months, but they've been going up at the longer end mm. in the expectation that the world economy is going to be better in the future. Yeah. That, that's a real bravo, ring the bell, yeah. that's fabulous. But it's not now. No. But what is coming is you're going to see interest rates rise. So, uh, I wonder, though, uh, will that really make a difference? Uh, I was having a, a discussion with someone a couple of days back, and uh, we, we talked about that either interest rates have got to go up. But it's all about supply and demand anyway, isn't it? So even if the interest rates go up, there's still not enough supply to meet the demand. So is it going to make any difference at all to uh, the price of bricks and mortar in the short term or even over the next couple of years? No. Yeah. There's, there's quite a few ingredients in that discussion. And you are right because if you've got if you've got people coming in who are able to borrow more or even with no debt just pay more mm. because they have more liquid wealth yeah, that absolutely. they can utilize, yes, the prices would increase, but you would have it where there are a growing and larger and larger amount of hardworking Kiwis that would be unable to compete. Mm and would not be able to participate in that market. So how does government make that happen? I mean, you often hear the uh, government people saying, oh, look, we're, gonna, we're working on that and we're going to uh, make it happen. How, do you, how does the government either drive the price down or make it easier for first-home buyers to get in on the market, which they've just got no chance of well, getting into? You know, the, on the last show that you and I did, which was um, was about four weeks ago, mm. so I, you know, had a discussion with Jill two weeks ago. But that last discussion you and I had, and I said to you that it's a a supply side mm. problem, not demand. Exactly. So we have a lot of demand, but that's because we've got um, many Kiwis have returned back to the country, and also as the New Zealand Initiative um, published a paper three weeks ago, and that is that even if we had not a single new migrant, so no one, not even a single Kiwi returning, mm-hmm. so no expats, just zero. So true fortress New Zealand. I mean, imagine that. You know, like mm-hmm. We're talking North Korea. Yeah. Imagine if we did that. Because of the fact that we are living longer, we have a higher rate of divorce, than we've had in the past. The fact that the number of Kiwis living in their abode, in their home, that there are less people per house means that we need more houses per year to be built even though the population mm-hmm. remained the same. Yep. Now, that's just fact. Mm-hmm. And the New Zealand Initiative's piece on that said that we need to be producing 
and I believe it was around 25,000 new homes to keep up with that. And let's, I'm going to use my term, static demand. Mm. It's just, like in other words, there's no new population. It's just people want to live on their yeah. own or because of, sadly, because of divorce. I mean, that's just, that's just an, an awful predicament to be in mm. this market, having to sell your house in a rising market and have to go out and buy two. But it is, um, a, like you said, it's, it's a fact of life. Yeah, it's, it's a fact of life. So look, it's really unfortunate, but that's and that's why I believe it's a it's a, a supply side issue, not demand. Sure. Because yeah, we can we can get out a mallet and we can smack smack down demand. We could do that through some blunt instrument like stamp duty and taxation, punitive approach, and it would work. But it's it's on the supply side. We need to free up more supply. So the reality of it is what you're just saying, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. Certainly not in the short term. No. No way. It's probably years away, isn't it? Yeah, it's years away. Now, the reason why I I believe that is there are no large-scale supply projects about that. that, I'm going to use a government term, shovel-ready. There are none. I mean, and we're talking, you know, when you're talking like 25 to 27,000 houses – we're talking about a, we're talking about a really, really large town. Mm, that's right. Well, it's half the size of Hastings. Every yeah, it year. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Half the size of Hastings. Yeah. Wow. Every year. Yeah, that's that's Non-stop. massive. That's right. And now, <laughs> now the other thing, Ken, is like, as you and I both know, you know that whole kind of NIMBY approach. You know, mm. not in my backyard. I mean, everyone, everyone wants criminals to be locked up, and you know, let's build some prisons. Just, just yeah, not, not more. in my town, please. <laughs> yes. It's and it's a little bit like that, you know. Everyone does want everyone to have have homes. They want their nieces and nephews and their children and their grandchildren to all have the opportunities that they and their forebears had. But so long as the paddocks out the back and mm-hmm. all the lovely green fields aren't converted to houses in our area, but but you know the neighbouring town, fill your boots. <laughs> and the kind of nimbyism exactly. uh, needs to be overcome. Yeah. And look, unfortunate with that means that. Um, you know, some sacred cows need to be culled, and some people in those kind of planning uh, areas, like council, yeah. um, you know, some of those people will um, not be favoured by some constituents for a period of time, yeah. as they need to advance through a more aggressive planning cycle. I think while you might be right there, that is a generational attitude change, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yep. Correct. Yep. We're out of time. Just remind our listeners, if we want to come and see you for some sound financial advice, how do we do that? You can come see us at 204 Catamar Road or on the terrace, and um, the first discussion is always complimentary. And The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 961. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.